Thank you, Melissa. And good morning again to everybody here, and good morning to those tuning in uh, online. Uh, in case you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Patrick, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the Word Church. And Melissa, who just read for us, is one of our elders here, so uh, glad that you're tuning in. Uh, everyone is tuning in, and whether you're tuning in online or you're tuning in your ears here, uh, we're in week three of this series, current series that we're on right now called A Church Like Jesus. Uh, we're asking the, the hard question, the difficult question of what does it look like to be a church like Jesus? Because we discussed our first week that sometimes we as churches, as different bodies, can start to look quite different. And we can begin to value other things and, and, and look to corporate structures more than we do to scripture and those sorts of things. So we're kind of looking at the ministry of Jesus. How did he go about different things? What should be important to us as his people and as a church? So our first week we discussed, does anybody remember what we discussed our first week? Anybody? This pop quiz time. You didn't know you were coming to a quiz, did you? Invitation. So we talked about invitation. Did you whisper it, Lisa? Yes, she did. She, you, speak up. You would have had a gold star. I had a prize and everything. So invitation. We talked about how invitational Jesus is in his ministry and inviting people and meeting them where they are to bring bring them to him. And when we're inviting people, we're inviting people to Jesus, more importantly than anything else. And then last week we discussed what? Does anybody remember that? Being backed into a corner, in a sense, yes. And how did Jesus handle being backed into a corner? With wisdom and creativity. And so we talked a little bit about how creative Jesus can be in his communication and that we as followers should also be creative in our approach and thinking through things because the last thing people want, especially when they have difficult questions, is just a pat answer. Because how many people hate getting just the pat answer to just about everything? Especially when you're in a tough time. I mean, do you really want to hear just the cliches? No. So maybe being creative in how we share the truth about Jesus with people uh, and meet them where they are. And this week, we're going to be looking at first impressions. We're going to be talking a little bit about people's impressions of the church when they first come in. I mean, when we have guests come in the door on a Sunday morning to us inviting somebody, but also our impressions of others affect those first impressions and how we see things. So how did Jesus view all of this? So we're going to talk about first impressions today. But before I go any further, I need some Holy Spirit I think we all need the Holy Spirit to guide us, so let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather and worship. This, this time is all about you. It's really not about us. It's all about you. But as we gather around your word, as we consider your scriptures, as we consider what you are saying to us here and now, as we wrestle with this question, what does it mean to be a church like Jesus? We need your help. We need your guidance. So we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word, that you'd silence any voice in us but your own. And Lord, I pray as a humble preacher, as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten. But may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, Amen. So earlier, Melissa read this passage from Matthew to us. And so here in verse 28, it says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why don't you say that with me real quick? Let's read this verse together. Ready? Come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How does that statement make you feel? Rachel just gave a deep breath. Oh, how does it make you feel? Like you can actually rest. Because if I were to flip the question a little bit, uh, how many people here need a vacation? Maybe you just got back from your vacation and you need a vacation from your vacation. Have you ever been through that? You realize it's not relaxing at all. You know, we long for vacation. People live for vacations. People live for Friday so they can live for the weekend. I mean, it's just, it's almost like nothing important happens during the week. We're just getting through it so we can get to the weekend, right? Isn't that how we often live our lives? So we read a statement like this, and Jesus, it's like he's speaking right to us. It's like, yes, Jesus, I want rest. Man, do I want rest. And do you realize all that I carry? I mean, we, we all carry a lot on ourselves. Some of us, it's a physical load. If you have a physical job, Matt, I know we were talking earlier about how you have a physical job. You're on your feet all day, lifting heavy things. And I'm sure there's times it's like, gosh, I just want to rest from this. My arms are tired. But then we carry other things that are more metaphysical loads, uh, mental, emotional, spiritual, that heavy and weigh down on us. And as we read this passage, it's like, yes, I, I long for rest. I know I've been asking for rest ever since we became parents. You know, you think you get through the newborn phase. It's like, man, I'll finally get some sleep and I'll, I'll, I'll relax. It, it doesn't matter how much sleep I get. I wake up tired. We know we're going to start again. Perhaps your life is like that. You don't even have to have kids for that to happen. But let's be honest. If we were to open the floor for us all to talk about our troubles... We could be here all day, couldn't we? If I just asked the question, what frustrates you? Oh my goodness, do you imagine what would fill this room as we discuss what frustrates us? What are your challenges? What are your problems? We could commiserate together all day, couldn't we? How many of you long for simpler times? Have you ever caught yourself saying that? I just, I wish things were simpler. You know, like back in the day. Ever said that? Yes. Yes. I long for simpler times, you know, because let's, let's face it, th things have changed, haven't they? Does anybody else feel like our lives have become more and more fast-paced than they used to be? Well, especially it used to be for me when I was a kid and I had no cares in the wor world. But things are so fast-paced. I mean, people barely have time for breakfast, eating breakfast on the go, out, out the door, while you're chauffeuring children to school. You're thinking about household chores. You have meetings, deadlines, corporate presentations, work lunches. As you go between appointments, you run through a drive-through to pick up something to eat. And then after school, you got to pick up kids and usher them to the next activity, trying to figure out where you're going to fit homework in. And, oh, you realize that you even forgot dinner. So then you go through and get takeout somewhere so that you can come home and eat real quick, do homework, go bath time, get ready for bed. And then you go to bed realizing it's all going to start over again. And you could pepper in all your other things in there. Because we all are busy, busy, busy people. And this technology that we have, isn't it supposed to make our life easier? Does it make your life easier? Have you ever found that the technology has really given you more time? Well, in the ways that it gives us more time, 
we find ways to fill it. And oftentimes we use said technology to fill that time. These flickering screens become just an escape from all the activity, all the busyness. I just want a brain-dead moment. Next thing you know, you've been playing Candy Crush for several hours and you never even realized that the time had passed. Or whatever, looking at email, scrolling through Facebook feeds, checking email, keep hitting the refresh button because you want a message, you want a relationship. Sure, things have changed, but you know what? A lot has not changed. Do we really believe, when we long for those simpler times, do we really believe that things back in the day were all that more simpler and that people weren't stressed? When you remember your parents, your grandparents, did it seem like they were never stressed? That they never had stuff going on? Do we really think that Jesus could have uttered this statement to a group of people that everything was just so simple, it was okay, they didn't have technology, you know, it was just, it was simple times, everybody was happy, nobody had any problems. Do we really believe that people had no problems 2,000 years ago when Jesus uttered these words to them? Because I guarantee the refreshing way we experience these words today, they were no less refreshing to the people Jesus spoke them to. People need rest. This just isn't even a promise, though. This, this rest that Jesus is offering is not just a promise for what's yet to come. It's not like, just, just labor through, deal with it, walk it off, and then you'll find rest at the end. Kind of like the statement, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. But that's not all that this statement means. It means Jesus says, I can give you rest Right here and now, when Jesus speaks about bringing abundant life, that's not just eternal life to follow. That's abundant life right here and now. If we live with Jesus at the center of our lives, if we strive to live as he lived, we can have abundant life right here and now. Isn't that refreshing? Don't you want that? Something that matters right here and now. Jesus is saying, I want to give you a foretaste of the kingdom to come. I want to give you a glimpse. See, in this series, we're discussing what it means to be a church like Jesus. And for that to happen, we must learn to view the world through the same lens of Jesus. We must begin to see things how Jesus sees things. Jesus looks upon the world and his heart breaks for what he sees. Does your heart break for what you see? Does your heart break for the same things that break the heart of God? That's a tough question. Does your heart break for the same things that break the heart of God? So our first point as we discuss first impressions, it seems like a no-brainer, but I still think we need to utter it because we so often forget it. And the first point is this. People have problems. You got problems. I got problems. We all got problems. And anybody who sets foot through that door and comes into the our midst of our community, whether it's here, whether it's a mission opportunity, whether it's a study somewhere, whether it's a chance meeting out at the grocery store, people have problems.
And when we ask how you're doing, do we really want the answer to that question? How often do you ask how you're doing and then, you know, someone actually tells you and you're thinking, oh, wow, I didn't really want to know. <laughs> because they spend the next 10 minutes telling you, oh, here's what's going on in my life. Because how often do we ask that? We ask, how you doing? And we get the pat answer, you know, I'm doing okay. Uh, well, just fine. I'm good. Even if you're not. Because just below the surface of those facades usually is a well of pain, hurt, and frustration. Because everybody has pain. Everybody has frustration. Everybody has hurt. Everybody has scars. People have problems. And why is that important for our discussion here today? Because people come to the church. And I'm not just talking about a building. People come to the church, come face to face with the community of the people of God because they are hurting. People come hurting. Do we really think someone would be brave enough to even come to a church for the first time if they didn't have problems? If their life was all together, what point would it be to even set foot in the presence? Because do you realize the courage it takes for someone to come and just show up to a church for the first time when you don't know anybody? It'd be much easier not to, wouldn't it? But when somebody comes into our presence, especially those unsolicited, the, not even the people we invited, but the people we come into contact with, do we really think their life is all together? But yet, so often, we treat people as if they should have their life all together. We look down upon people because it doesn't seem like they have their life all together. Up oh, here comes another needy person is what we might say in our mind. Our body language may even communicate that. People come hurting. People come hurting, and if we can't recognize their predicament, what do we even have to offer them? Can we offer someone a drink if we don't even recognize that they're thirsty. We have to understand that people come hurting. And Jesus met people where they were, problems and all. Jesus met the skeptics. The very people who were trying to work against him, he meets the skeptics where they are. And he tells them the truth. And you know what's amazing? There are times that skeptics come to belief because they were met with love and grace, just like Jesus did. Some will never change their minds. But they have problems just like us. Jesus meets the people with past hurts, trust issues. Do you have trust issues? Some of us very well might have trust issues. And if you've ever been hurt by people in the church, you have big trust issues with people in the church. And you know what? It's really easy to say, well, that wasn't God. But it starts to become that way in our mind. People have trust issues. They've been hurt. Hurtful things happen in the church. Why? Because we're hypocrites. Every single one of us. We are hypocrites. And wherever two or more people gather, you hope the Holy Spirit's there, but I can tell you that there's going to be a whole lot of hurt. There's going to be politics at play. There's going to be hypocritical actions. There's going to be all sorts of stuff because we are all sinners. And what happens when sinners get together? We hurt one another. Hurting people hurt other people. But Jesus stands in the midst of that. Jesus meets people who are preoccupied with unimportant things. Maybe they have mixed up priorities. It's not our place to judge. 
someone's misplaced in our minds, priorities, but we meet them where they are. Because it could be those very priorities are causing the struggle, the pain, and the hurt in their own lives. A life out of alignment with God. Jesus meets people living the life of sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. A few weeks ago, we used the story of Zacchaeus. When Jesus met Zacchaeus, he was a sinner. And Jesus went to his house for dinner. Jesus had this way of having meals with sinners. Meet them where they are. You can't confront Jesus and not be changed. But you still meet Jesus where you are. And Jesus met people lost in hopelessness and need of healing. People have problems. And people can't hear beyond their pain. People cannot hear beyond their pain. People can't see beyond their hurt until we acknowledge their pain. Have you ever been in a painful, frustrating situation, or maybe even a point of grief? And one of the, one of the statements that always frustrated me so much when you know, I'm grieving the loss of a loved one, and someone comes up to me and says, you know, they're in a better place. Nothing gets my blood to boil more, more. It's not that I don't believe that. You know, I do believe those who have been saved by Christ, they are in a better place. But that brings me no sense of comfort, comfort right here and now. To be honest, some of the statements that have been the most helpful when someone comes up to me, puts their arm around me and says, this sucks. I know it hurts. And I'm so sorry. I'd much rather someone stand with me in my pain then I can begin to hear. But you give me the past statement off from the start, I'm not hearing anything. People can't see beyond their hurt until we acknowledge their pain. And we have to remember that. Anytime somebody comes into our presence, they can't see beyond their hurt until we acknowledge their pain. And this is important because the pain is the beginning for a longing for the rest of God. Why is that statement we read earlier in this passage so comforting to us, this idea of rest? It's because we're in need of it. We experience God in our need. How often do people turn to God in a time of need? And we've seen it in devastating parts in our own nation. 9-11, you know, we just had the, what was it? It was, how many years since 9-11? It was 16 And probably like me, many of you remember 9-11 and, and saw our nation kind of pulled together. We've seen it even in the devastation. It's been amazing to continue to watch Houston and what's happening, how neighbors are pulling together. In this terrible time when people have lost everything, people are pulling together and people are turning to God. And you know what? People are experiencing God in, in pretty miraculous ways because I saw some statistics that the vast majority of the the efforts to help the people in the hurricane relief are religious organizations. They outpace the government and FEMA in relief. I think they account for about 80%, I think is what I saw. Imagine how many people are experiencing God through the people stepping out, meeting them in their pain, and just ministering to them where they are. 
Do you think they want to hear, oh, your house is in a better place? People come longing for something. People have an eternal longing for God. And what's interesting in the statement about Jesus giving rest, he's contrasting his burden with the burden of the Pharisees. Because, I mean, that's what he's battling all along the way is these Pharisees and scribes coming along and saying, no, it's in the law, it's the law of Moses. This is how you have alignment. But you know what? This moralistic law, as good as it is, you will never measure up to it. Has having rules in your life always led you to lead a good life? How many people break the rules? How many people broke the rules on the way here just driving? I won't make you raise your hand on that one. Most people lead a moral life. You know what? There's a lot of good people who lead moral lives. But the pressure to perform, to succeed, to achieve, and to accumulate overwhelms. A moral system is based on merit, and it will always disappoint because we will always fall short. And Jesus is saying, look, the law of Moses, it's good, but you can't live up to it as hard as you try. You could be the best person on earth, but you can't be sinless. Only Jesus can be. You will not measure up. You will make mistakes. And Jesus is saying, my burden is not based on your merit. It's based on mine. Wouldn't you love this merit system to be based off somebody who's better than you? It's kind of like being great on a curve, except eternally and even better. It's based off the merit and the worth of Jesus. There's an interesting quote I ran across by C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain. He said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is the megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Isn't that pretty powerful? People have problems. People have pain. And God is speaking to them. Will we allow God to speak through us to the people who have problems, the people who have pain? Our next point is this. Jesus lifts burdens. This is important for us to remember because Jesus is good news to a hurting people. Jesus is really good news to a hurting people. And sometimes we have to help people see that because, you know what? Jesus, and especially even more so than Jesus, Jesus' church has a bad rap in the world. A lot of people have a hard time seeing us is good. And can we really blame them when we see the news about the latest scandal, the latest pastor who's made indiscretions, the latest churches that you know everybody thinks when they come in is like, you just want our money. You just want our money, isn't it? People have a hard time seeing the church is good when they see so many churches hiding within their walls, not doing anything good for the community. So we have to help these people with problems to see, look, Jesus is the answer. Yes, Jesus may use us as vehicles to bring about that change, that good change in your life to relieve your burden, but we recognize we don't do it. It's not us. It's not us alone. Jesus is the one who lifts burdens. 
Jesus begins with the gospel. He meets people where they are, and he begins with the gospel. He doesn't always start by just shaming somebody into how bad you are. Jesus starts with the good news. Even at his birth, it began with good news, didn't it? In Luke 2, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The good news started even before Jesus set foot on the earth. We see in our passage this morning in verse 27, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus is the vehicle and the means, the connection and the way to God. If we want this rest that He promises, this eternal rest for the here and now and the not yet, Jesus is the way to it. And then he goes on in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus begins with the good news. Jesus offers unmerited grace. Does he say that you can take my yoke upon you if you have your life all together? Bring your resume and then we'll, we'll talk about it. What have you done that's good? Does it outweigh the bad that you've done? Does Jesus say any of that? No. He says, come to me. That's the only condition is that we come to him. And we take on his burden and he takes on ours. And we learn that his burden is light. He offers assistance with our burdens Sure, he calls out sin, but he's quick to forgive. He is our hope and healing. So what does that mean for us? This should shape the way we view everything. Not just the people we confront, but the way we view the entire world, the way we view each other. You know, there's been a whole string of very interesting videos on the internet. Have you seen these new corrective glasses that correct color blindness? And there's all these different videos of people experiencing it for the first time. They've been colorblind, and suddenly they're seeing color for the very first time. Let's, let's watch this video. This gentleman is a bodybuilder, by the way, not someone you would think to be soft. Put them on. Put them on. Put sunglasses. How does it look? 
here. Look at the balloon. <laughs> Can you see with our eyes now, baby? Can you, what colors you see? Gold. You see colors now? Now you have rose colored glasses, baby. <laughs> now you see with our eyes. Doesn't that kind of bring tears to your eyes? We talk, I mean, that, and that's just color blindness. And I'm not belittling that, but. To see the joy as this man, for the very first time in his life, he's just turned 66. This is 66. It's his birthday. He's a hardened bodybuilder of a guy, and he's seeing colors for the first time, and it's bringing tears to his eyes. And I love the statement of his wife. She says, now you can see with our eyes. We live in a world where people are more than colorblind. They're looking at this world and they see no hope. They see no healing. It's almost as if they're just seeing this world in this dull black and white. They don't see the vibrant beauty of everything, the connection, how everything is connected. And you know what? God's kingdom is this beautiful, vibrant color. Don't we want people to see this world, our whole existence, through that lens? But people need a corrective lens. And that lens is Jesus. A church like Jesus understands problems and lifts burdens. People have problems, Jesus lifts burdens. And a church like Jesus understands that and reaches out to the people. Because you know what? Why are first impressions so important? If we want people to believe in the goodness of God's coming kingdom, we must model the goodness of God's coming kingdom. If we hope people to see the beauty and believe the goodness of God's coming kingdom, we must first model God's coming kingdom. Through Jesus, we see the world in vibrant color. So many people don't. Have you ever noticed how I often refer to you as saints? In prayers and emails and all sorts of things. Have you noticed how I call you saints? Why is that? Well, I can tell you first why it, it's not because you're worthy of sainthood. And somehow your bones and shoes or socks are going to belong to the Vatican after your death. It's not because of some miracle any of you have performed, and it's not because I believe that you've led a near sinless life. I'm looking out at a bunch of sinners. And then somebody can hold up a mirror to me. But why do I refer to you as saints? Romans chapter 1, verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the church in Rome, to those called to be saints. I call you saints because it is a reminder of your calling from God. It's nothing to do with what you've earned, but it's a place that you've been called 
to inhabit. See, the word saint in Greek is hagios, and it means consecrated to God, holy, sacred, pious. Simply put, a saint reflects the likeness of God. And if you were made in God's image, and you proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are displaying the likeness of God. Do we reflect God's likeness when a hurting person walks through the door into one of our gatherings? Do we? Do we see them in their pain, and are we willing to meet them in their pain? Meet them where they are, in their messed up priorities, in their sin, in their overburdened state, realizing they're not all that different from us, that we are broken, hurting, sinful people as well. Are we willing to lighten their load so that they can experience the rest that awaits them in Jesus? Are we? Because it's not easy to take on someone's burden, is it? It's not easy to take on their load. It's not convenient. We must meet people in their need if we want people to meet Jesus. If we want people to see the beauty of God's kingdom, we must reflect it. If we want them to see in vibrant color, we must reflect that to them. It's countercultural, it's different. We must, we must remove every obstacle, no matter how inconsequential it might seem to us. There's a lot of things, you know, I know our, our leadership is talking a lot about first impressions. And there's a lot of things you might talk about, they're like, does it really matter? You know, we're here to worship God, it shouldn't matter. Well, you know what? When we're meeting somebody in need, if it matters to them at the start, then maybe we, it's an obstacle we should move out of the way. Because if we really want people to experience the hope and healing of Jesus, let's move out everything that stands in the way of them experiencing that hope and healing in Jesus. It doesn't mean compromising our core beliefs. But it does mean we have to make room and we have to do things that are not convenient for us. We just might be someone's first impression. Are we presenting the good news of Jesus in a way that really does appear beautiful, amazing, and good? Does it look so much different from their old life, like a colorblind man seeing color for the first time? Does the vibrant beauty of seeing the kingdom that surrounds us for the first time bring people to a new appreciation? Saints, we want to see our community changed through hope and healing of Jesus. And if we care about this, first impressions, our first impressions and others' first impressions matter. Are you really ready to see our community changed? Are you really ready to do the work? Then let's get to work. Let us pray.